This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. The American Hustleites. You know, I usually do this on the PWSO YouTube networks, and I usually say what is going on for the Reflectionites, what is going on to the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the Naughty Nine, but I'm not doing a pro wrestling reflection podcast. No, 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 no. You know, a couple of days ago, you know, Track asked me to do my professor's perspectives, and normally I don't get requests to do a perspective because I need to be motivated to do one. I need a subject matter that makes me want to do a professor's perspective. And lo and behold, track gave me, you know, gave me fuel to the fire because I said some statements and I've been saying some statements on the PWSO YouTube pages. I've been saying some statements on the PWSO Facebook fan pages, the Solomonster Facebook fan pages, and all points in social media. So it's apropos that I put it on the PWSO YouTube necklace. It's apropos that I put it on the PWSO at podbean.com. And with that being said, welcome to the Professor's Perspective here on the PWSO YouTube networks. If you don't know me, I am the most magnanimous one. I am the most scholarly one. I am the most stupendous one. That's a new one. But most importantly, I am the glorious one. The only objective man in the IWC YNC punditry the Professor Chabeva Cruz, and I'm not here alone. And, you know, again, history is in the making here because when I do the Professor's Perspective, I do it solo, or my my guest would be either Billy Ray Valentine, the masked man, or A-Track Brown, the dirtiest of the city. But this, right now, is history making. Why, Hustleites? Because this is the first time I have an outside guest for the Professor's Perspective. Yes, history in the making. I want to introduce all the hustlers. You know him well. I call him the doctor of Russellnomics. He is the co-founder of the Hammerlock Hangover podcast with Steve Pena. He's the host of the Garden of Doom podcast. He is, the again, the doctor of Russellnomics, Jeff Lipman. What is going on, Jeff? How are you doing, my friend? What is up? I guess that makes me the teaching assistant today. Uh, yeah, you are the pompous of all things pro- professorial in wrestling truly the most objective man in the iwc and in professional wrestling writ large i like to think of myself as objective too but i've been told too many times i'm a cynic or i'm a pessimist so that definitely i can't be as objective as you but i try 
And, and for proof of it, because we're going to be talking about Cody Rhodes and AEW, I am wearing my vintage Bullet Club shirt to prove I have a Bullet Club shirt. And I bought this when it was acceptable for me to wear a tank top, which is debatable these days. Well, you're showing the guns. You got the tats. You, you know, you are full-fledged Bullet Club right there. He, you know, and I met his lovely wife before... We were recording this podcast, and she is wearing, wearing a Villain Club, Bullet Club t-shirt. So, you know what? They are very objective. They're not wearing WWE uh, gear. They're not wearing anything from WWEShopZone.com. So, not, he is Bullet Club for life. So, that is proof positive. If the professor says it, it is carte blanche. But anyway, Jeff, we are getting into this very special professor's perspective because it is no secret. The worst kept secret was out there that Cody Rose was going to the WWE. You know, some people like A-Track Brown said it was a work. It was all about Cody Rose going, you know, doing something storyline-wise with Ring of Honor, you know, the Ring of Honor invasion of AEW, which sounds good on paper and in theory, but it just wasn't meant to be. So let's get one thing out of the way with Cody Rose because this is the Cody Rose conspiracy episode of The Professor's Perspective. I think we both, you and I can agree of course, it's about the money. He wants to be compensated for what he feels like he has contributed to the professional wrestling business. And in the last six years, since he first left the WWE, you know, we can go down the chronologies. He was a Bullet Club member, like you are wearing that shirt. Mm-hmm. He did tour the Indies. He did the Ring of Honor. When you love Ring of Honor, when it meant something to you, he was a former Ring of Honor champion. And he's one of the founding fathers of all elite wrestling and you forgot he was the impact grand champion oh my goodness i forgot about that little run that he had him and brandy rose at the impact zone yes again he has done a lot in the six years since leaving wwe so jeff let me ask you this again we know it's about the money but let's just talk about cody rose per se you know legacy wise to me i think there is levels to this first and foremost because we're going to get into the aew easter egg about you know why cody rose is back in the wwe but we first have to acknowledge now like the tribal chief the head of the table roman reigns but we have to acknowledge the legacy of the rose family and i think in my humble opinion cody rose is more like his father the american dream Dusty Rose, then even Dustin Rose, in terms of his business acumen, in terms of his wrestling acumen, he is, he's learned so much from his father, Dusty Rose, inside the ring and outside the ring. And I think, I think in my understanding, in my opinion, he wants to not only live up to his father's legacy, but he wants to exceed it and propel himself even way above Dusty Rose. I don't think it's even a possibility he could do that. But I think he has those aspirations more than his older brother, Dustin. What say you, Jeff? I agree with you on a lot of that. Um, I think that part of it is because they're so far apart in age and how they were brought up. When Dustin was growing up in his formative years, Dusty was not around. He was working the territories. He was on the road. He was more settled when Cody was growing up. So... Uh, you know, he had his job with WWE. He still was doing the WCW thing, but more in a booker role, less in the talent role, and then uh, and then the office role, developing NXT and things like that. So, you know, he probably had more influence, and Cody probably saw Dusty more, or Virgil, in a managerial business role than Dustin ever did. 
uh, it could just be that also Cody is more motivated that way. Um, Dustin may have just be, he just wanted to be a wrestler. Maybe that's all he ever wanted to be. He also seems to have a little bit of a sourpuss personality. Um, Wait, which one, Cody or Dustin? Dustin has more of a sourpuss personality. Oh, okay. Now, Cody may have a difficult personality, but he, but I think he's got more of that ambition in him. Now, I can't really psychoanalyze either of them, but what I will say about Cody is when he left the WWE, you know, he was a mid-low card, but he was successful. He had a gimmick. People knew who he was. Um, he could have done that for a while, but he bet on himself, and he won. And it was by no means a safe gamble. Wrestling was mediocre. It, you know, people say it's hot now. I'm not really sure that that's true. Actually, I'm sure that they overblow it, but that's a different debate for a different day. But he gambled on himself. He mm -hmm. went to Impact. He went to Ring of Honor, hardly in the same league as WWE. He did his Japan thing. He met some of the right people. Apparently, he wined and dined and flew some of the right people and, you know, got himself insinuated into worlds that he may not have been. Now, they probably used him a little bit for his name and his fame. Um, but Wait, wait, wait. Let, let, me, let me stop you there. Yep. Now, this is part of the conspiracy here because we have to at least put a chronology on the history. When he left in 2016, he had that list. He, it was very famous that he had a book. He had a book. He had a long list of names that he wanted to work with, and I think Kenny Omega is one of those names. I think uh, Mike Bennett was one of those names. So you knew he had a he had a filler name, whether it was an Impact, a Ring of Honor, or a New Japan, and he fulfilled that list. But imagine Mike Bennett being on a bucket list. Well, at that time, I, even <laughs> the professor loved the prodigy Mike Bennett, but neither here nor there. You know, I. I must have been drunk, but I did love Mike Bennett back then, and I think w WWE proved me wrong, even though I felt he had potential. But, that's again, that's another show for another day. But you said something that some people might have a differ differing opinion, but I actually agree with you. I think let's go into the point where he joined Wine and Dine or somehow, way, got to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and, of course, that vignette of him smoking that Cuban cigar and was the newest member of the Bullet Club. Now, the overtures, we knew it was from the elite, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and, and that stuff, because it wasn't really the side of Tomatonga. It wasn't the side of Fale and, and Gorillas of Destiny. We knew it was the side of the elite, the American side of the Bullet Club. Sure. But who used who? Did the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega use Cody Rhodes for the WWE rub, or did Cody Rhodes use them so he can propel himself? That's a real debate first to start this co conspiracy episode here on the PWSL Networks. What say you? Because I think he used them to propel himself. What say I you? Think they, I think they used each other. Um, whether who, I mean, it's sort of like the Will Smith, Chris, Chris Rock thing. They're both wrong, but who's more wrong? And, and, and <laughs> minds can differ on that. Who used to? Usually in a relationship, both people use the other. I mean, mm -hmm. relationships with more than one person, both should be getting some benefit of the bargain. So when you say using, it's usually after something's gone wrong, right? Mm -hmm. when, when it's working out, it's a partnership. But uh, I would say that he used them as a vehicle into this alternate coolness, this alternate cool factor, but he was also lending his name. He was a WWE superstar. He was a Rhodes, uh, Dusty Rhodes, one of the most iconic wrestlers within the wrestling world exists. I mean, let's face it. If you go on the street, you're a New Yorker, 
I'm in Baltimore. If you go down the street and you go, who's Dusty Rhodes? People may be like, huh? Say, who, who's Hulk Hogan? For better or worse, they know who Hulk Hogan is. They know who Randy Savage is. Probably even know who Jimmy Snooker is. You say, or you say Superfly Snooker, they'll, they'll know that. Dusty Rhodes? Mm, I'm not sure people will even know the, the reference. Anyway, um, but in wrestling, an icon. Famous, legend, taking nothing away from him. So I think they used each other for different reasons to have similar goals. Uh, but it's fine. When you said that Cody wanted to be Dusty, I think that Dusty was as inspirational for business. But I actually think that Cody wanted to be two other people. I think he wanted to be some combination of Triple H and John Cena mm-hmm. and couldn't quite get both because it wasn't his company. And and I think that Cody may be a difficult person. I think Brandy may be a difficult person. That doesn't mean Tony Khan isn't. Doesn't mean the Young Bucks aren't. Doesn't mean the Kenny Omega is charming either. Nobody's perfect. But I think that their visions hit loggerheads early on. And I think that Tony Khan gave in a lot. And when the contract was up, I think it's just like, it's a good way to write this off the books. And hey, this is some other company that releases lots of people. They always say it's budget cuts. Mm-hmm. I'll say it's budget cuts too, but I'll oh, hire yeah. 20 more people in the next month and a half. Nobody will notice. We'll get into the AEW side of this conspiracy because you you have enlightened the professor with all these Easter eggs. And we have to really compare where they were with Cody Rose in 2019 to where they are now without him in 2022. So, you know, Hustleites, there is that, but we have to get to that really soon, but we have to get these Easter eggs to this conspiracy theory because at the end of the day, again, we know it's the money, but I think there's more to that in my humble opinion. We'll get to that. Now we, we already talked about Bullet Club. We talked about how Cody Rose legitimizes the Bullet Club on the American side because, again, like you said, Being a former WWE superstar, it gives them the rub that they need for the American expansion, if you will, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. But lo and behold, you you said that name, everybody's favorite money mark, Tony Khan, the fan, the savior of professional wrestling. He, He goes to all these New Japan Pro Wrestling shows in the United States. He goes to all these Ring of Honor shows. You know, fun, not a fun fact, but a fun question, Jeff. You know, you loved Ring of Honor. I always, I remember you always giving these Ring of Honor reviews because you was a, I don't want to say a diehard. Maybe I might be putting words in your mouth, but you was a good, avid Ring of Honor fan, being in Baltimore and all that stuff. Would you, did you think, or were you ever questioning why didn't Tony Khan in 2017 or 2018 attempt to buy Ring of Honor off of Sinclair? Did that ever cross your mind? Or it really didn't matter to you? Um, I'm not sure I knew who Tony Khan was until later, uh, until probably closer to 2018 when there were rumblings that the Bucks and Cody and Omega were talking to a guy named Tony Khan. I mean, I knew that, that Prashad Khan owned the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that, that, that was about it. In hindsight, do I wonder? Yeah, but, I, you know, Sinclair has been famously unreasonable about how they valued their own product. And, you know, with the rumors swirling around about how much uh, Tony Khan paid for Ring of Honor, which, you know, nothing's been verified, but if they're even close to true, um, they ended up being right by playing hardball. But many times they tried to sell their library, you know, you know, and their name to, you know, notably to WWE, I guess, to give them content network and WWE 
either offered very little or, you know, I think most recently said, nah, you know, just file bankruptcy and we'll pick you up like we did WCW if we mm-hmm. if we even want that. Um, I heard it was 30 to 40 million. So to me, it's overpaying that. And I think WWE is like, maybe we'll do 10. I don't know. That That's the way I would. If I was a WWE businessman, I would offer 10 million the most. I, I would have offered them payment of their debt. I, 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 I mean, I, I think the Ring of Honor was actually worth negative money. But the reason I believe the numbers that are so high to be believed is because Fightful came out with a report early in their day that was obviously laying cover smoke. And believe me, I didn't believe the story. I just thought it was a wishful thinking rumor. But once mm-hmm. Feitel said that Ring of Honor has been valued for 10 to 20 times what WWE paid for WCW. Now, people need to remember WWE bought WCW out of bankruptcy court. So mm-hmm. it, it was already worth nothing. So they got it for, they said $2.5 million. That, that's what Feitel reported. I had thought it was less, but okay. Ten times that is twenty-five million. Twenty times that is fifty million. That that's pretty easy math to do. But mm-hmm. with ridiculous cover like that, I mean, you know, you, you then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, the reports are true. Now, where am I going with this? Another report came out from a, another sports valuation company who said we believe that Ring of Honor's actual value, and it was something between like it was strangely specific. It was like between four hundred and twenty-three thousand and seventy-three cents to 593,073 cents, something like that. There's always three cents at the end. I, I don't know where that came from. Um, but it's funny because when Steve and I were talking about it earlier, um, I said, I don't know that it's worth anything, but if anyone pays more than, you know, half a million or six, if they get a dollar more than a million dollars, they, they, they've, they've made themselves a great bargain. Because, I, you know, five or $600,000 is a stretch. If you believe, you know, and that's assuming that you think that you can sell all in to a bunch of people and, and you think that the the library of armory and, and school gym wrestling really does have a value given that almost every match is on YouTube already. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the valuation, which came later, was mine. But Tony Khan, you know, not being the shrewd businessman that he is, or maybe he is, I don't know, we'll see, time will tell. He seems to have paid full freight and, and bought into it. So good for Sinclair. Um... But I don't know that he would have paid that same amount before he had the, I'm not going to say the success, but the successful reception he's received with AWS. They haven't made a dime. I mean, they, they're they're in the whole 10 figures. I'm sorry. Yeah. Over $10 million every year. Um, mm-hmm. But they, you know, and they think they'll make that up with the video game or maybe with the TV contract renewal. It's very easy for them to. Oh, make you know up. how they made it up. You know, his father, Shad Khan, all, will just take a little bit off of that uh, network NFL TV money and just dip it into the AEW funds. You know, they'll find a way to funnel it. Don't worry about that. I don't think so. I don't. I, I think Shad said, I, I think that's why Tony bought Ring of Honor himself. Because Shad said, I'm not, we're not spending another dollar of my money on wrestling. You, whatever you do is with, with our initial investment, which was, I think, $100 million, and with revenue. And mm-hmm. I think Tony bought Ring of Honor Partly, just partly, because I do think that Tony believes in himself and his vision. Whether he's right or wrong, time will tell. Um, but I think he mm-hmm. bought Ring of Honor partly for, you know, the ego, partly to have it, partly mm-hmm. to give more wrestlers work and time exposure. But I think I'm a cynic. I'm a pessimist. So I think part of it was insurance. So that if Dad pulls the plug on this, if the TV renewal money isn't there, if the video game flops, that he can still own a wrestling promotion and be a wrestling promoter without anyone on top of him. 
I could go with that. I could go with that. Really, really easy to go with that with the Ring of Honor. It's like another toy in the toy chest, just in case if one breaks, you got a backup there. Exactly. So with within the Cody Rose conspiracy hustleites, now Jeff has put pointed out all the history with well, not all the history, but all the logistics with AEW. But to go back with Cody Rhodes and the Bullet Club connection, of course, we got to talk about All In. You know, the we don't know how, the history is a tweet from Dave Meltzer say we'll see if they can sell out. You know, if another promotion other than WWE can sell out a, an arena for ten thousand, and Cody Rhodes took the mantle, saying we will do this. And of course, Ring of Honor bankrolled it, and we all know that history. It All In was a success. For an indie promotion, we for indie wrestling event, we we're not even going to deny that. But it laid fuel to the fire for all elite wrestling in 2019. So now I needed. This is why I did the professor's perspective with Jeff Lipman. I needed him for these Easter eggs because we we were talking about this. We were sliding into the DMs, not in that way, hustlers, but we were sliding each other DMs because we had to compare <laughs> notes. Now Jeff, with the success of all it. And then, of course, you know, maybe, you know, Tony Khan schmoozing the Bullet Club, schmoozing the elite to get out of their Ring of Honor commitments, get out of their New Japan commitments, because he sold them on this concept to create an alternative to WWE. And, of course, the the illusion, I don't know if it's the illusion or it's on paper. Jeff, can you confirm this or, the, you know, whatever? Were they given the title of EVPs because of Tony Khan just, you know, as icing on the cake or... Or was it just by name alone for the marks? What say well, you on that? Well, who sold who is, is is an interesting question. I think that they both used each other. I think that Tony won. That's the kind of wrestling he liked, and that, and that was the kind of star power he wanted. I think time has proved that Kenny Omega is not a star stateside. Um, a, a little you side. You want people to go after you? You know, the people. You want people to go after you, Jeff? You know Kenny Omega's a star, especially A-Track would be like, oh, no. Well, A-Track should be the one that's the, the maddest and should be agree with me the most because he loves Impact, and Kenny Omega almost single-handedly killed Impact. Um, <laughs> they're, they're only first starting to recover now, and it might be too late. I mean, the interesting thing about All In is that it really was All In. Lucha Underground participated, no longer in business. Impact participated. It had double its viewership then than it does now. Ring of Honor participated. Well, we know what happened. Ring of Honor went on hiatus. They were going to do a grand re reimagining, which was all of, we're going to say we're doing stuff, you know, and then we're going to probably wrap this shit up, and we're going to try and find a sucker, and a sucker they found. Um, you had New Japan, who was primed to do New Japan Strong, which at this point does, their YouTube show does generally, after three weeks, it might cross 10,000 viewers. On, on free YouTube. So, I thought it would do like 25,000. I thought it would do much. Now, New Japan content has just started on Access TV. The mm -hmm. most recent week, uh, last week of new content, they had 56,000, which was oh. down 29,000 from the week before. They, they, I think they had 100,000 their opening week, which was still disappointing, but it wasn't even new content. It was Jericho versus Omega from like three years ago. Um, anyway, so this New Japan fan base that allegedly is here in the United States, either it never was here or it isn't anymore. Now, I have a theory that AEW sort of sucked a lot of the oxygen out, not because of evil intent, but they gave fans what they want easily and lots of it that you can consume here in the United States. And you no longer needed to search, look at your 
local TV t- uh, timetable to see when Ring of Honor was on because it's it's all over the place. Uh, you no longer need to search for New Japan. Access is nowhere, so you you, you didn't need to. Like, AEW gives you that variety all yeah. in one bubble. I get you. So with with all in. Was it Cody Rose? Does Cody Rose get the credit? Not, I'm not talking about the bankrolling, but who, mm-hmm. who in your mind, Jeff, should get the credit for All In? Was it the Young Bucks or Cody? Because I give it to Cody because he actually initiated the bet with Dave Meltzer, in my opinion. Of course, you know, people might say, well, the Young Bucks already have being the elite and they were already trying to make that noise. But I think Cody Rose was spearheading All In and spearheading being that figurehead with the all elite press conference, in my humble opinion, what say you? I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I mean, who made, who made, who made, how I met your mother, a star show. I mean, I think Cody Rhodes was the face man. I think he was the salesman. He was the hype guy. He was Barney Stinson. He said, challenge accepted, but you needed the ensemble. I think you needed the young bucks to get the tag teams to buy in. Kenny Omega had a, you know, definitely had a cachet within the wrestling community with the, within those wrestlers. I think they all had their six degrees of separation, and they all appealed to different people. I think it was a, a coalition. I definitely think that Cody's star power had something to do with it. Cody probably did funding some of the travel and, and expenses, um, you know, for some of the guys. But ultimately, Ring of Honor bought into it to their dismay, um, mm-hmm. uh, though maybe that was factored into their the $40 million that maybe they got, so maybe they're happy with it now. I don't know. Who knows? We can't. We don't have an alternate timeline. Um, all I know is that the, the what was they called, Lifeblood, the, the, the replacement uh, faction certainly was a flop, and so was everything else since then. Um, Absolutely. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just say that Cody was the, the front man, the hype man, the sales guy, the closer, but I, I'm, I'm not going to say that they all didn't play a role in it. I, get, I give you that. Are we giving too – so then you th- maybe you're saying that I'm giving too much credit to Cody and not enough credit for the six degrees of separation. I actually respect that that sentiment that is a six degrees of separation. You're like, Kenny Omega has connections with the women's wrestlers from Japan. I know, again, the, t- the tag team division, the Young Bucks was very adamant about bringing back tag team wrestlers. I get you all that. I just think Cody Rose, having his father's blood in him, if you will, wants to do more. That's why I always say when he came back to WWE – there's more to this because of being the prodigal son, as Cody Corey Graves has said, oh, has, is calling him. He has more ambition, as you said it, of doing a lot of things, Manage, managing-wise, promotion-wise, you know, presidential-wise, whatever the case may be. Cody just has more ambition, in my opinion. That, that's where it goes. So now we could talk about the the. the but, but I never answered your original question because you asked me about the EVP thing. I mean, at the time, who knew? I think that they did have managerial roles. I thought that they had separate salaries. I thought that they had benefits. I thought that they would have stock options and things like that. And and maybe they had some of those things and not others. You know, I I thought that they were all building themselves ways to have, you know, it was a pretty safe, uh, good gamble with Tony Khan funding it or his family funding it to make yourself generational, if not intergenerational, multigenerational wealth. I mean, why not try to become... A McMahon, if you can, especially if you're using someone else's money to get there. But we saw at the end, I mean, we heard about it as early as December of 19. And, and you know, we heard about it ever since, especially, you know, the, the rumblings where Cody would come to work every day at six in the morning, suit and tie, 
the the Bucks and Kenny Omega wouldn't come in at all, or if they did, they played video games and fucked around. Mm-hmm. You know, we we heard the rumblings, we heard that Tony was taking over power, or whatever. But we saw, we saw exactly what EVP meant when the contract ran out. It meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. Um, you know, Chief Brand, I like to say Chief Brandy Officer. I mean, obviously, none of that meant anything. They handed it right off to uh, Amanda U. Huber. So. Um, you know, these things meant nothing. Maybe it meant they had health insurance. I don't know. But, I mean, this whole thing dispelled the, the actual role and value of the EVP title. It mm-hmm. also dispelled because when AEW started, they said, our people are going to be paid the same as WWE people. And obviously, if they were getting two salaries and getting health insurance and things like that, and Cody left for what's reported to be $3 million, that's a lot of money. But if he was making what we thought, which was, you know, $1.5 million, he had those, you know, uh, mm-hmm. You you get health insurance, maybe you get a 401k, uh, maybe you have a stock option or something yeah. or whatever. You get those TV shows that, that, that are going to pay you extra money, you'd think, or at least if they get renewed, they pay you money. You'd think that would be close enough for the power and the control. So I think Ego played a role in it because if he was making what in the beginning we thought he was making, mm-hmm. you'd stay for the power if you were wanted. I don't think he was wanted anymore. I think they wanted him gone. I don't think it was just money. I think it was... They yeah. would look at his ego. He would look at his power and control. What was promised in the benefit of what he expected the benefit of the bargain to be. But I just think that over the course of shortly getting, you know, when you're pals and you're and you're wrestling and you're starting things and they're going well, you can be friends. But when you're in business together, that's different. When you have to make decisions, right? They, they were all like guilty you, of nepotism. Like you said, as bad as anyone else. Right. Like just, you said, like New Japan, it was all fun and games. Ring of Honor was all fun and games because they did not have booking power. They did not have managerial problems or anything like that. They were just talent, talent, talent. So now we get into the 2019 Hustleites. Now, you know, the press conferences is there, the the Fightful reports, the Meltzer reports. Cody's an EVP. The Young Bucks are EVPs. Kenny Omega's EVPs. Tony Khan is trying to be a behind-the-scenes guy. He doesn't want all the, the glitz and the glamour. He doesn't want all the glory. He's trying to stay away from that. So for booking purposes, television purposes, these four gentlemen from the elite are the pillars. I don't want to say that, but they're the figureheads of all elite wrestling. And now, Jeff, here's the, here's the Easter eggs here because from that three-year span of 2019 to 2022, what do you think in terms for Cody – did he think in 2019 from the start of AEW, do you think that he thought, because since he's a Rhodes and he remembers his father's legacy, Dusty Rhodes booked the, you know, the Florida territories, Dusty Rhodes booked the uh, Carolinas, the mid, the mid Atlantic area, but he booked himself as the top guy, the top face, mm-hmm. the number one stud. So Cody Rose is coming into this because, again, like you said, he bet on himself. He did, he did tour around the world. He went to New Japan, and now he has his own alternative company. There's the ego like you talked about. Forget about the EVP thing. He at least thinks he's the number one or number two guy in the company where the storylines is about him. He's the top guy facing maybe the, the newest talent, the newest heel, the up-and-coming star. What say you about that philosophy? Because we know that there was a philosophy difference between Cody Rhodes and Tony Khan. What say you? Okay, first a little story. So I went to college in Georgia. I went to Emory University between 86 and 90. And Georgia is 
heart of wrestling. So on Saturday nights, you had WTBS. The, the, it was the Georgia Championship Wrestling turned into WCW during that time for two hours. But then after that, on a, on a local channel, you had a block of like eight hours of one-hour wrestling shows. Uh, sometimes even WWE, like Superstars, was on. But there were times where Dusty Rhodes was the top face on four of those hours and four different promotions. So it would be Georgia Champions of Wrestling, <laughs> Continental Wrestling, Florida Wrestling. Sometimes he'd be in the you know Mid-South of USWA or whatever. You'd see, you'd see him all over the place. And I didn't understand tapings at the time. I'm like... How the hell is he all over the place? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm you know 18 or 19 years old, and I'm not trying to be a smart fan, and I'm not trying to read magazines, and there's no such thing really as dirt sheets. There's no internet yet. We're we're still working word processes. So you're right about Dusty. Um, what do I think? I think that Cody wanted to be Triple H and Dusty so badly that he he actually put that stipulation that he could never challenge for the world title in good faith just to show people that he didn't want to be Triple H and he didn't want to be John Cena and Barry Irwin. He wasn't going to be Jeff Jarrett, yet he did it in every other way except for the world title way. So he sort of wanted to have his cake and eat it too, and I think he always say to someone, what ego? I can't have the world title. But, you know, no matter who they brought in, he, he had to beat them in the end, whether it was Brody Lee, whether it was... Pentagon, who'd be real quick, whether it was Malachi Black. I mean, Andrade, he put himself through a fire table and still managed to beat Andrade. I mean, I, I you know, I think they're like, okay, you're saying you're not Triple H, but you're coming out with a throne. You're coming out with a golden hammer. Mm. You, you know, you're doing all of this stuff. You're coming down the suit. I mean, you're, you're basically still booking yourself this way. Plus, you know, you got us to hire your brother. Maybe in the beginning it made sense. Now we have Arn Anderson here for what? And we've got all of the students from from all of your schools, your partners with QT, Marshall. Uh, and now we've got all of his students there who really aren't worth a damn for the most part. Uh, even Hookamania, that fever's breaking. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of ego got in the way because even though he put that stipulation in, that was almost like his 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 answer to everything. How could, I, how could I be an egomaniac? I can't even be the world champion. Well, it's wrestling. The world championship doesn't mean much. Even Dusty was only world champion, I think, for like an aggregate of 123 days or something over his three reigns. He he knew that the money was in him being, you know, beaten Chaser. up and, and chasing. Yeah. It, it's funny that you've, you mentioned that, but we have to compare the roster. Because we had that talk about the roster oh, yeah. of AEW from 2019 to 2022. I can't remember every name, but today's AEW roster in 2022 is leaps and bounds way better than what they started with. So to me, with the ego com comment that I made about Cody Rhodes, I think he had no choice but to be the top babyface or the you know one of the top two people in AEW along with himself and Chris Jericho because they were the known faces at least in America. For w because they were former WWE stars. So it was easy because, again, like you said, New Japan fan fandom, how how big is that really? Because you were really depending on Cody Rhodes. You were really depending on Chris Jericho to carry the, the weight of the world of AEW on their shoulders, which they did a pretty decent – well, Chris Jericho did a pretty decent job. Again, it's debatable about what Cody Rhodes brought to the table because you mentioned it. Certain things about Cody Rhodes – we got to talk about the negative things right now. Of course, there's a bunch. There's a there's a there's a thousand four list like Chris Jericho had. So I I don't want to name a thousand. Can I do four. one point that you just touched on because because I know we're going to spend most of our time in 2019 and and the, that roster and 
sort of where are they now? But the interesting thing is, I agree with you, the formula, they had to have the big names, the names that people knew, and then you would, you know, and, you know, the wrestling world knew the Bucks, so you could feature them, and there were some other people as well, but it was basically Jericho, Cody, uh, Omega to an extent, you know, they brought in Moxley right away, and that came in, mm-hmm. but three years later, if you watch Dynamite, the formula really isn't different. If you like the the first hour, the last couple of the last two or three weeks has been basically the same thing. It's CM Punk, it's Brian Danielson, it's John Moxley, it's Chris Jericho, mm-hmm. uh, probably the Hardys. I know Sting isn't a WWE guy, but he's certainly not a AEW guy either. I mean, whether he's a TNT or WCW or WF guy, just, he's a known icon for right. the wrestling world. Yeah, I get you. Even Chris, I mean, if you if you didn't know AEW existed and you weren't watching wrestling for for three years and you turned on AEW and you watch it, you would just think the WWE had a different show. That is true. Yeah. I mean, again, punk, you are right. Punk has opened the dynamite for, for the ratings purposes. The analytics again in 2022 compared to 2000 is way different for cable TV metrics and valuations for, for even wrestling programs. So we don't even talk, we don't need to talk about the logistics. which is about the formula of the show yeah, is they're still relying on 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 the same thing for the for the most part, not yeah, that, exclusively, that is, but for the most part. But now we have to at least say what 2019 offered because again you had the I don't want to call it the rejects from from Ring of Honor that that kind of like went to the bandwagon of AEW because I remember what was it SCU joined the the bandwagon for the elite. By the way, and best friends, best friends joined too. Uh, what you would call it, the women's side, the bunny, Butcher and the Blade joined the AEW train, and the bunny was coming from Impact Wrestling. Right. And again, well, I don't want to even go there, but the bunny's been mistreated. That's another show for another day. But we don't the need Blade to... sort of was, but he was already off of that. The Butcher, I mean, except for the Indies, nobody knew who he was. And then, the, uh, and of course, they were trying to show that they had the their eyes on the talent like Private Party. And then you and I have been going back and forth like, I like par- Private Party, but they're just not being used well for three years. And you say they're hot garbage. Again, another show for another day. But it's, it's these, not important to this particular These were names in 2019 that were supposed to spear. And, of course, Sammy Guevara, when he came out as the Panda Man, right. and then, of course, somebody said, get rid of that panda and become the Spanish guy. Whoever said that, hopefully, was Cody Rose saying, get rid of that that panda outfit. You're the Spanish guy. You need swag. I think it was Jericho. Oh, thank God for Jericho then. But you, you could tell that certain young people were gravitating towards the veterans, and then certain young people just was doing their own thing. But again, like you said, the formula was to depend and rely on the known faces and then try to bring up these young people. But the young people, nobody was really – invested jeff is that you know hard to say we weren't invested in private party fully we weren't invested in maybe dante morton fully probably well, dante morton came later but i mean i think mjf established himself pretty quickly uh i don't mm-hmm. remember if wardlow came after tv or before tv but they brought him in as, I think he as came in 2020 i think more okay, of so he came late so he doesn't count as yeah. original um you know, I think there were people that, that that were interested in Sammy Guevara, whether they would have been if he wasn't part of Jericho's crew. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh, you know, I mean, they they targeted Darby and Orange Cassidy and Jungle Boy, all all people that three years ago I said no, get away, stay away from those people. Like 140 pound wrestlers, no, 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 no. 
But, you know, people have, have accepted them to, to various uh, degrees. But they also brought in Marco Stunt, who now they brought out. Uh, Luchasaurus came from... Oh, Lucha Joey Janela. We can't forget Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. Those were the, the original. The originals, right? Yes. Yeah, so. The women's roster is, is, I mean, the Priestley, not there anymore. Sadie Gibbs, retired. Kylie Ray quit almost immediately. Awesome mm-hmm. Kong really was never there to wrestle, period. But she's formally re- retired. Nyla Rose, she's she, you know, uh, an original, still still there. Is she better off than she was then? I would say no, no. I mean, Private Party, where they originals are, are they better off now than they were three years ago? I would say that they're probably a little bit worse off. Yeah, like I said, they haven't been used right. I think that if they were they were more WWE ready than probably nobody even gives them credit to be because they have a ready made. Monday Night Raw gimmick with what they do, and probably they'd be more fun and entertaining in WWE. Would they be winning tag team titles? No, but they'd be more entertaining in WWE Raw doing some stupid shit. But that's neither here nor there. No, I I just want to compare as to if they're doing better because they're in AEW compared to where where they were in 2019 to where they are in 2022 in in AEW. I don't even we don't even need to go whether they'd be more successful someplace else or would work somewhere else. I I would say I would say in 2019, they had more potential of being one of their top tag teams, maybe because they were less tag teams, but now they're sort of mired sort of perpetually in these hardy family office, you know, feuds that never end. They just change dance partners. That is true. So now with Cody Rose, now we got to get back to the Cody Rose thing because again, every Cody Rose in, I mean, let's, let me, let me rephrase it. Where's Penelope Ford? (laughs) Well, Penelope before, once she uh, got blood on her face after that tables match, I haven't seen her after that, so I don't know if she's selling that. So that's good selling point. She's telling a story without even telling the story. Long-term storytelling? <laughs> yes, that's long-term Tony Khan telling story. But gotcha. Cody Rose's presentation. I learned something was, from you. Yes. When Cody Rose was in that AEW ring in 2019, of course, the, the fans popped. And he could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Even if you hated Brandy Rose and people said, well, okay, I love you, Cody Rose. I don't like Brandy Rose, but we'll tolerate her for the time being. But just we just want Cody her only fan right here. <laughs> I, I like I love Brandy Rose. I love I love that spunk that Brandy Rose offers, but it was a little over the top, even though, like you said, I'm not an ego. I'm not chase I can't chase for the world title. But certain things, Cody got a lot of perks. For mm-hmm. being supposedly that EVP, so mm-hmm. we don't we, he got the best entrance out mm-hmm. of all the wrestlers in AEW because he comes up from the stage. He got the pot. He was the one of the first with the pyro entrance, mm-hmm. I think. Oh yes, yeah. right. Okay, he, oh, had he got the pyro. The, he got that theatrical, he got, long that WWE five to seven minute entrance. Right. That he was the first one to me. That's why I was vividly remembering that. Also, he was he had his wife. And he was the only one to allow pets. He was the only one that had a pet to come with him, his dog. You know, mm-hmm. he, he did like, like like twice. Also, he's the only one that can have every uh, person that he idolizes, whether it's Diamond Dalla Page, whether it's Tommy Dreamer, or whatever the case may be, Jeff Jarrett, whoever. They came down the aisle with him in multiple matches. So we don't, we've seen that. We don't have to talk about the booking thing because sometimes he did uh, – he idolized Triple H for a reason because, of course, that Reign of Terror, he read it He read it well. He learned from the best. 
So he did his reign of terror a different way. So what say you, Jeff, about his presentation on TV? What what did you like? What what irritated you in that three-year span? I liked how he did honor that stipulation. I thought it was way too early to put that stipulation in. Just as a general aside, I think that AEW adds too many stipulations, oftentimes for no reason, too quickly, and oftentimes the wrong guy asks for a stipulation. Case in point, Cody Rhodes against Brody Lee. Nobody's running away from anyone. Brody Lee absolutely destroyed Cody Rhodes for that title. Bro, uh, Cody Rhodes comes back, and he's the one who wants the, the strap match. Um, even though it, Brody Lee's not avoiding him at all. I mean, you get a strap match when somebody, when you've tried to chase them, they keep sneaking out of the ring. You know, you can't find them. You can't catch them. They keep disqualifying themselves. They get themselves counted out. You don't get a strap match just because you lost once. So, I mean, it made no sense. Listen, I, you know, and the AW fan base likes gimmicks and whatever, but, I, you know, I think even they're getting tired of it. But that's what I didn't like is that he always had to go over even when it wasn't necessary. Brody Lee is the only one that made the Dark Order feel anything other than ludicrous. They're, they are, they mire everyone else. They, I mean, Adam Page has been breaking up with them for 16 months now, and that's still a story, and it's still making him feel mid. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even the story with MJF in the beginning didn't make much sense, but at least he said, I know he's an asshole, but he's my asshole. I mean, whatever. I mean, even the very first Cody Rhodes match, which everyone loved. Everyone sang the praises of Cody versus Dustin. What a great story. I, I loved it. Yeah, I love that. that it was, was a good match, except the story didn't make any sense because Cody Rhodes and Dustin weren't didn't hate each other. Cody hired his brother. So if we're supposed to be the smart fans, where's this vitriol? Where is this rivalry coming from? So, I mean, they didn't even have, they didn't, it was like in the first show, like if it was the fourth pay-per-view that they came in and, and Dustin said, Oh, my little brother rescued me. You think I needed rescuing? And then and you told the story like that. Then it would make sense. I'm not taking away from the match and the crimson masks and all that. It was a mm-hmm. great match, but it told a good story in the ring. But it didn't. But there was no story. It was fake. It's like they plucked it out of thin air and just dropped it. And there's and there's two brothers who hate each other. What what are you talking about? They got along just fine. I mean, they had a history of not getting along. But as far as we know, they got along well. And one of them hired the other and, and hired the, the trainers from a, from their gym that they were, you know, partners with or whatever. So it, it, it made no sense to me. But also, you know, he had he killed the momentum Pentagon. They wanted to make him a solo act heel. He had one match against Cody Rhodes, lost solo act over. Uh, Malachi Black, he comes in, he's doing everything right. Cody Rhodes has to, you know, he, he kills Cody Rhodes three times, but then Cody Rhodes has to beat him. And then Malachi Black, ever since then, you know, did use somebody to Julia Hart? Who cares? That was four months, two feuds ago. You know, uh, now they're mired in, in six-man uh, routines with, with Phoenix, who's been out for three months anyway. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, the, that the six-man is rotating, and they're still trying to do things with Penta with that ridiculous, you know, manager of his. Um, that sucks. And then the Andrade thing. Andrade, who, you know... Even now, I would say as a wrestler, he doesn't have a lot of traction. I mean, he's been on TV, but for those first four or five months, I think he had like two matches on TV. And really, what was he doing? Getting paid for doing nothing? Maybe. I don't know what his contract says. But he had to beat Andrade, and, and they couldn't even call an audible when the, when the table was in the wrong spot or somebody didn't adjust their butt. Whatever it was, Cody's the one who got caught on fire. Andrade missed the table entirely, but still Cody Rhodes had to get the win. I, I mean, it's, Jeff, hold, hold yeah. that thought for a second, because let me ask you this question, because within that 
three years of dynamite. You know, you even said it, there was a formula. But to me, some some of the critics, or if you want to call it AEW Hayes, always notice one thing, that dynamite looked like different shows within dynamite. And when Cody Rose had his segment, it looked like a different dynamite or it it wasn't AEW dynamite. It was AEW Cody, whether Mm -hmm. it was his promo, whether it was a match with MJF, a match with Wardlow in the cage or whatever, or like you said, Andrade, Malachi Black. It felt like a different show until we got to a Young Bucks segment or we got to a Kenny Omega segment or the Elite, whatever you want to call it. But it felt different, like it was a different show. Do you agree with that sentiment or you have a different take? No, I agree 100%. His segments, he, his segments would never take less than 15 or 20 minutes because he had a long promo, he had the whole theatrical entrance, and then he would still have the match with the same length as every other AEW match, which is, you know, 15, you know, 12 to 16 minutes no matter what. So between all of his shenanigans and, you know, having to shake Arn's hand and pretending he's the coach and, you know, maybe bringing in, you know, Lee Johnson next to him one week or Dustin or, you know, 13 students or whatever the case or would Brock. be. Brock. Brock Anderson. Anderson, exactly right. Uh, you know, one of the many. What Whatever he was doing, it took so much time that, you know, other parts of the show, obviously time had to be cut. I mean, they had problems with time management. Now, some of it could just be cut if Cody didn't, you know, have you know, this Roman Reigns bloodline-like entrance and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that pomp and circumstance and, and time. That said, I, I like a little bit of the theatrical. It was just too much. He needed an editor, and I don't think that Tony, Tony Khan at the time and maybe still now was strong enough to, to be that editor. But when the contract ran out, he's like, I don't got to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, now we could go back to... Let's talk about that relationship, if you will, between Cody Rose and Tony Khan. Because Tony Khan, you know, people called him that money mark. Mm-hmm. He was a money mark because he used this check to get AEW, you know, open for business. So he had to rely on Cody Rose. He had to rely on the Bucks. What say you about that that relationship? Where, where do you think? What maybe what year was it? Twenty twenty one or did, could you tell the difference between the the I don't want to call it the deterioration, but we have to say that word. Deterioration between that working relationship between Cody Rose and Tony Khan. Did you see it within the presentation of AEW Dynamite? Because think about this. When was that year that he got Rose to the top? Was it 2020 or 2021? Uh, it was It was 2020 when he got it. I don't think it aired until 2021. Okay. Think about what he got out of the out of the perks. He got Rose to the top. He got the big game show. He got a lot of perks within the Warner Media family. I think it, it was part of that deal for Tony Khan to get AEW going, open for sure. business. So to- Cody Rose, like you said, was a figurehead, was the face of AEW to expand to expand its awareness, if you will. So mm-hmm. where do you think? that deterioration or that, that working relationship fizzled with within Tony Khan and Cody Rhodes. What year would you say? 2021. I, I guess we could say that. Well, that's clear. But I, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's phases and like, I mean, everything in the world is more complicated and it's probably more complicated and more simple than, than we're going to make it out to be. But those first few months, clearly in December 2019, that's when Tony Khan said, I'm taking I'm taking power control. And those first few months, I don't care what anyone says, those first few months, TV was a mess. From the Jericho cruise on in January 2020 through sometime during that summer, 
Dynamite was a whole different show. There was still a lot of chaos, and there was some Crash TV, but it was by far the most entertaining wrestling television show on TV that I watched. So I watch a lot. I don't watch Impact, but I, I watch I watch Ring of Honor. I watch MLW. I watched NWA. I watch all the WWE products. I watch NXT. I watch all the AEW products. Dynamite was by far, and every now and then I'll watch a YouTube indie show or something like that, just to keep my eyes on, see who's still around, to, to see, to my surprise, Charlie Haas still exists and things like that. Anyway, so... He is I only saw him once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in Southwest Texas Fury now. He's got a little faction. Uh, I think it's called the Prodigies or something like that, or the Pedigrees, something. doesn't matter. Anyway, the... Um, by the way, Eva Lee is their champion. Uh and yeah, another one who came and left. Uh, but uh, so we had what I call their their glory time. I mean, this this was a, a really solid. It was a perfect no, but wrestling. If wrestling seventy percent good, that's a plus in wrestling world. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I think what happened is they were enjoying their success, and I think Tony said, "All right, I, I think I'll give back." But I think also what happened is that the Bucks and Kenny Omega were perfectly happy not to have the responsibility and just thought, I think they were perfectly happy to sleep in, play video games on TV, do being the elite, doing whatever they said they were doing. Kenny would bring in his, his Josie girls from, from time to time and nobody would watch those segments and he would tell, argue with people, including me, that Maka Ito was good because she stuck her middle finger even though she couldn't throw a working punch. Um, you know, whatever it was. He has his little fetishes. Good for him. We all do. We just don't all get to put them on TV. Um and then, and then I think Tony Khan sort of came back and started letting people out. And I think it probably was mostly Cody, because I think the other ones really didn't care. He put Kenny in charge of the video game. That's gone really well. I guess in, in charge of the women's division, that's gone really well. In charge of the Japanese wrestlers, they're complaining that nobody helped us find housing. Nobody provided us translators. No one told us where to eat, where to live. Kenny had one job. <laughs> you know, Kenny, Kenny had four jobs. One was wrestle. Well, he got himself injured, so there's there's one down the road. The video game, that's that seems to be a giant flop. The other ones manages the women's division. And and Britt Baker is an amazing character. Thunder Rose is a, is a good wrestler. Uh, and, and they've gotten some other I, good wrestlers. I can't give Kenny Omega that credit. I have to give Sony Khan that credit for being that fan that he is. Probably right, just... but, but the women's division is crap. I mean, they've hired yep. they've hired a bunch a series of saviors: Kiera Hogan, Ruby Soho, now Tony Storm. I mean, Mercedes Martinez. Does the women's division ever really feel important or bigger? No. So no. he failed in that. And to make the Japanese girls feel welcome here, he fa- so Kenny is really zero for four. But I'll give him the wrestling one. So he's one for four. Um, but I think that they were happy enough to step back. So I think it was Cody who said, "I want you know, I want to do more. I want to do more." And then they got sort of they got that. that You're run. right because it looked like to me in that three year span, Cody Cody with the suit. But I think he wanted to take the pressers. He wanted to take all the right. the news interviews. He wanted to go on all the news morning shows to promote mm-hmm. AEW to promote. He Paul Levesque. He wanted, yeah, you're right, to be Paul Lebeck, to be uh, to be Vince McMahon, to, to but, just... But also to be John Cena, to have, to have those acting, those those smaller acting gigs, gigs to build them into a bigger acting gig. Absolutely, because he wanted to be a bigger face. He wanted to have a, a bigger presentation. He wanted to be, what is that word, Hustleites? Larger than life. It's one of the ugliest words that the IWC, YWC just doesn't want to even hear, because it's all about the work rate. But again... Work rates don't draw money. Larger than life characters draw money. But that's another story for uh-huh. another day. So you're right. The the presentation of AEW Dynamite got better in the, in the 2020s. But again, I could also flip it and say the pandemic made it easier 
for you know Kenny Omega to take a step back. It made it easier for the Bucks to take a step back because they weren't touring, they weren't forced to tour. They had to stay at Daly's place for about a year or so. Right, so, and the wrestlers could show their personalities while they were the audience. So you could have MJF and Sean Spears gambling, and that was kind of funny. You had Sammy Guevara doing the cards, the, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, so he's speaking when he's not speaking. So I think that helped a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that was part of it. But, you know, but you can definitely see as Cody's influence started to wane again, as, as obviously people got sick of him and the reports started making it public, that the pace of the show slowed down. There weren't, you know, there were still a lot of factions, but you didn't necessarily have, you know, 72 people on in the first hour and 40 in the second hour. It started mm-hmm. to slow down. They, they'd fall into the, their other habits from time to time. You'd still get things like Trent's mom, Sue, being a character. You, you had Orange Cassidy go from a sporadically and perfectly used sort of comedy character who could fight when he needed to, to being featured as a main event guy. Mistake. Um, mm-hmm. you, you bring in, you know, and also Tony Khan mis, misjudges things. I mean, he is such an, he's such a smart Mark wrestling fan that he actually thinks that things are bigger deals than they are. So he thought that, you know, I, I can't even, you know, the people like Tomohara Ishii were a big deal or that Christian was as big a deal as edge. And, and he just never was and never will be. And, you know, uh, even big, Nick, even big show on Mark Henry. Yeah. Bringing in war, you know, uh, war horse. Or, you, you know, and, and well, that was, were, a, I think, well, that was a Cody thing. That wasn't a Tony Khan thing. Well, but he has signed off on it, but, you know, but. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. We got to talk about, at least since you talk about the world title, the Eagle thing. Well, I didn't, I can't chase for the world title because I wrote that story. I wrote myself out of that story. Right. Now, the TNT title was created for Cody Rose to have right. something to chase, something to defend, something to showcase for AEW Dynamite. And again, you know, at first it was nice for him to hold on to the belt. He was the figurehead. I had no problem with that. But then, like you said, maybe the people, maybe the, the fan base started to wane and started to get pissed off. And maybe they got the flashbacks. They got the PTSDs of Reign of Terror 2021 with Cody Rhodes and the TNT title division. you agree or disagree? Completely agree. Three-time champion in, in a year and a half? Come on. <laughs> Well, I think he was one of the greatest TNT champions of all time. I still say that to this day. Of course. And he treated that belt with grace, with prestige. He didn't He didn't have Brandy Rose be butt naked in the bed. Maybe he did, but he didn't put it on camera. At least he kept it, he kept it private. Now, he's a mixed bag like all of us. He respects the business. I think he just overvalued himself and his, his value to the business. And guess what? He he's carried that forward. And even though he was kicked out of his fraternity, he was picked up. He transferred to you know he you know he lost his job as a starting quarterback at North Dakota State, but he was able to transfer to I don't know Notre Dame or who's a good who's a college, he was able to transfer to Alabama. And you know maybe he's not the greatest player in Alabama, but he feels really. No, I, I think you got to you you have to flip it. He lost his starting quarterback in Alabama, since that's a very high prestigious college, and uh-huh. went to North Dakota State to start over. That's where that's where it sounds like right now. No, no, no. I mean, with the WWE is Alabama of, of wrestling. I mean, oh, okay. well, then that's as, Alabama to Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll go that way. Alabama to Notre Dame. That that's the way it is. Any way you want. He, he, he but he, he, you know, but it's actually it's actually the way it's bad because it would have been he started at Alabama, you know, but as a freshman redshirt transferred to. 
you know, North Dakota State, then transferred back to Alabama because he came oh, back okay. as the prodigal son because, you know, and, and as one of the founding fathers, you know, he does have a unique value from being a Rhodes, being a former WWE guy who left, was a founding father, was the face, made himself the face. Happily so, Tony Khan, you know, let him do all those press conferences. He was the Triple H giving all the business reports and, you know, and he was actually pretty good at it. He was not, he was good at press conferences. Um, you know, every, every now and then all of them had to walk back statements at all. All of them made mistakes publicly in statements and all of them had to take turns sort of walking back statements. Um, but, uh, yeah, then, you know, but he, he did us, he did a smart play for him, but if he was wanted there and if he still had control and EVP meant something, I think he would have stayed because the smarter, the smarter play rather than $3 million a year, $5 million a year for three years or four years would be we'll, to help. We'll get to that the, because now the conspiracy theory comes from my end here. Let's so do it. maybe I'll get, get it from your perspective here. Now you talked about the EVP thing. He left WWE the start. He was the stardust character. We can agree. He was lower tier to mid card at best. Yeah. He yeah. did what he did to bet on himself and he turned into upper mid card to the main event scene. That's not that's not a debate right now. We could all agree on that. So now he loses his momentum. He loses his, I guess, stock, if there was any stock in AEW. And now he's, you know. And by the way, I don't mean to interrupt, but if anybody right. who was a mid-carder from WWE could do it, it would have worked for Mike Bennett. It would have mm-hmm. worked for Kurt Hawkins. It would have worked for a number of people who went other places and tried to do the same thing and didn't have the same success. So Cody has a good deal to do with it, just like Matt Cardona is killing it now, but there's 90 other people who were released who you almost never see, notably Eric Redbeard, who you've seen three times in AEW and and never again. Right, that is true, but I think the difference between all the other... I just don't want to have him bereft of of credit for his work and his skills and his talent. Absolutely not, but I think there's there's a difference between everybody else you said and Cody Rose because he left, but the the illusion, if you will, that he was an if EVP. You if you will, he was the EVP. He was man. He was management. He was. He has some stake in this particular company right now. We so thought. We thought again. Again, th- those reports started coming out, like you said, in twenty nineteen. Emotional or real? <laughs> it probably is both. But remember those reports in twenty twenty one, where I think it was a. Aaron Haynes, I forget the name, but I remember he kind of broke that story that there was a rift between the EVPs mm-hmm. and Tony Khan, and they all played it off like it was nothing. You didn't know what you're talking about, you know. Don't and they even kind of mocked it in their BTEs, like, "Oh, we're all we don't like each other and all that stuff." But you kind of noticed in the BTEs. I didn't watch them all, but I kind of, but it was a fact that Cody wasn't as uh, visible mm-hmm. on BTEs as he used to be. Before during the gl- glory days, so I've heard. The, I've watched the, all of yeah. two BTEs in my life. One in the very early days, and one during a PWC skirmish where Jimmy played a BTE, and I watched it on the video so that you couldn't fast forward through it. So, right, one, one was involuntarily sort of. Yeah, but but there was a noticeable, lo- you know, invisibility, if you will. Yes, that's that what Cody, I've heard. Well, Cody Rose was not on these uh, being the elites later on. But neither here nor there. He was now, separate but equal, perhaps. Absolutely. But now he's he's back home 
in WWE. But and like you said, it's a it's a three year deal, maybe a three to five year deal at three million per. There could be uh there could be something where he can he's supposed to be executive producing something a documentary about Dusty Rhodes. That's right. part of the deal. He kept his name. Um, not his name. He kept his uh, ring gear. He kept his uh, entrance. He kept his music. He kept everything. He can do outside ventures, which means theoretically those shows are in play or different shows. Right. He- uh, and and supposedly a world title reign. But here's the thing. Here's where Tony Khan and Bean, whether he's nice, naive, dumb, whatever it is, a lot of the, I mean, first of all, People think that when people file for a trademark, they get what it get it. it that, it's not that easy. At least half of them get denied, and and a lot of them get denied for good. Um, but a lot of the trademarks that were filed for, first of all, AEW and their family writ large has a pretty bad success rate about getting trademarks. They never got Clash of the Champions or Bash of the Beach. They just sort of used it and nobody cared. But they never got it. People think that they got the trademark. But the point being is that Cody Rhodes. Actually, he filed for a lot of the trademarks in his own name, and he ran into trouble with a lot of them and then used the Jacksonville Jaguars attorneys to help him fix them. So whatever trademarks were achieved, a, a whole, he, came, he came with a whole lot of IP as well to WWE, which I assume part of the deal is if they want to use it, they can, but they pay him some sort of royalty for that. Wow. I mean, that, so Cody Rose used Shad Khan's resources – with the Jacksonville Jaguars attorneys, supposedly those AEW attorneys, but they're, yeah. they're probably one if of the same. If you look at the public record, you could see what was filed by who, and then Amphir got rejected, and, and the Bucks actually had something rejected like 14 times until they did the same thing. But uh, mm-hmm. but you could see the attorneys change, and then the office is like, you know, one Jaguars Boulevard, or, you know, uh, Jacksonville, you know, instead of the Ohio attorneys that, that Dusty was that, that Cody was using. Some of the they, they they some of them tried to file things themselves too. So to put a bow in it, what do you think? Like he got everything else, the outside Avengers like you said. But to me, when you leave where you supposedly have this power, the managerial power, maybe the booking power, just like his father, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, to me, there has to be more within this contract wrestling wise and this is where i come in with this conspiracy where i'm probably the only one i think i think in his contract when he retires let's just say he's not your qacon give me your qacon i think he's got a stake in nxt because dusty rose had something to do with NXT more. I mean, a lot of people give Paul Levesque too much credit, but Dusty Rose was down in Florida finding that talent, honing that talent, teaching that young, you know, the next generation of WWE superstars to become something bigger, like Sasha Banks, like Bailey, and all that stuff. I think in this contract, he has a stake in NXT. What do you think, Jeff? I assume by stake you mean he has a power executive booking role in NXT as opposed yes. to shares or actual ownership or, or what either way I, I, either either or what's um that? I think that that's too far down the road I think Cody what's what's the only 35 I mean realistically he could wrestle for another 15 years and there's that's a that's a long time to assume he's still going to be with WWE still be able to wrestle do anything but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like if they had something that if he gets injured or something like that 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 you know he that he can still work for NXT instead of disappearing or 
or whatever the case may be. Maybe there's a handshake agreement on that. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not going to sign off on it, but I'm not going to dismiss it either. I just think that with wrestlers wrestling well into their 50s these days. Um, well, I'm not disputing that he might wrestle until his 50s, but I think there's a stake in NXT where he could get that booking power. He, maybe that nightmare factory that he runs can be a pipeline for the performance center because, of course, Cody has an eye for talent in his own right. So maybe there's a, a, a funnel channel, if you will, to use his own school and Vince McMahon doesn't have to do these tryouts all over the country, all over the world. Mm, maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that the, the WWE has their own idea of what they're going to do. But we've seen that it's not, you know, it, it's not all we only want, you know, athletes from college. I mean, they've signed Roxy and they've signed uh, Jake, what's his name, Jake Tucker or Jake Mother Tucker. I mean, they've signed some other indie wrestlers. They just brought up a brought a kid over. Um, so obviously it's not a hard pass. Well, there might be something to that. I mean, listen, I'm sure the phone is always open. And we've also heard reports there was like something where like every week that something would be released. WWE is very high on Ethan Page. WWE is very impressed with Warlow. WWE is really high on Malachi Black. He was so professional when he left. We would we would really like to talk about you know him coming. We'd welcome him back. You know when when his contract is up, things like that. So. Uh, there may be something to it, but I'm not. I'm not going to dismiss your conspiracy theory. I'm just not going to co-sign it all the way right now. I respect that 100%, Jeff. And and I thank you again. I thank you for being the first outside guest for the professor's perspective. This is monumental because I always do it solo. I always just do it with maybe one of my PWSO brothers. You are the first. I am so honored to be an outsider. The first we have deflowered the professor's perspective. I, this is this. You, you you're broke like my cherry. The, oh yeah, my right. You're you're only the second virgin I've had, and the last one was uh, thirty something years ago. So okay, good for me. Um, wow. This is this is great. Still got it, Lipman. Uh, yeah, no, thank you, PW Hustle, for having me on. I, I think someone kicked me out of your Facebook group, so I'll see about that. But uh, some you of know you what? Got, I, I'll even I'll let you back in. Don't worry, I'm a. You just you just let me know and I let you back in. There's no there's no rhyme or reason because I'm an admin. You, you got carb lunch. You got carb lunch. So just give out your give out your socials. Give out your your pot your podcast information and all that so all the hustle likes can follow you back. Yep. Um. Hammerlock Hangover is the wrestling podcast with me and Big Daddy Cool Stephen Pena once a week. Uh, we we we're you know pretty methodical on that. Uh, I, I'm periodically on a bunch of shows, and then Chabelle knows us too because he's periodically on some of the same shows. Uh, PWC Skirmish, sometimes Carnage, uh, Uncaged, which is how many media group, uh, Channel Attitude as well. I've been on that three weeks in a row. Um, I, I was You're bringing I also, your cherry there too. Yeah, right. I, I've also been on the Atmark uh, blow-off a few times, so you can find me in various places. Uh, also on Drew Yari show probably about once a month as well. Um, my non-wrestling podcast, which is really my baby, Garden of Doom, mythology, theology, sometimes hard history, sometimes French history, pop culture, vampires, monsters, anything that goes bump in the night. We, we've had UFOologists, best-selling authors, uh, but we've also had some podcasters from around the world in in you know very serious. We've had the uh, the History of Africa podcast host twice, the Eastern Border. Uh, the history of the Russian Empire. He's been on our fake history. He, he's been on as well. So a lot of variety. And then Garden Views is sort of like a cousin show, which is more mainstream interviews. In the beginning, it was sort of a little bit of variety. There's some interesting stuff there. But lately, we've been doing 
a lot of legal related shows that we think has uh we me thinks that might have broad appeal maybe even international appeal but part of it is that i'm laying a trail to have shows about once a week where we're going to try to find some aspects of international or domestic law that we can at some point extrapolate to the emerging law of space at least before elon musk takes over all of space and and makes the law for us oh that's you're leaving that breadcrumbs for everybody to, to listen to. So right. I mean, you easy thing to, the masses. If you apply, if you subscribe to Hammerlock Hangover on the Wrestling Soup Network, you get all three of those shows. If you just apply to Garden of Doom anyplace else, subscribe, not apply. You also get Garden of Doom. It's they're on the same feed. So if you only want one of them, they're they're still going to come down. Just delete the one you don't want. And the professor approves these podcasts because I listen to them religiously every week myself. So with that being said, thank you to the doctor of WrestleNomics, Jeff Lipman, for being on the, a very special professor's perspective. And you can find me on my Twitter at PWHustle, P-R-O-F, that's Prof, And also find me on my other nostalgic podcast, the PWR Podcast, the Pro Wrestling Reflection with myself and T.W. Tommy Wonder at the PWSL Networks at Podbean.com. And with that, I'm the professor. That's the doctor of WrestleNomics, Jeff Lippin, saying good night. And we'll see you. Well, we might do another professor's perspective here on the PWSL Networks on the YouTube. Good night, Hustleites. Stay able, my friends.